Good morning. Thank you, Ruth, for reading a portion of scripture today. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms here, and happy Mother's Day to those who hope to be mothers and those who are mothers and hoping to be mothers again, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, mothers are a blessing. I know my mom has impacted my life. She is someone I look up to who is uh, persistent, who is uh, family uh, honoring, um, who is courageous, um, and who fights for the ones that she loves. And I'm grateful for my mom. She's not here this morning, and I don't know why I'm crying, but <laughs> I am thankful for her. Today, we continue to learn about Saul. Saul's conversion takes place one to two years post Jesus' resurrection. And as we learned last week uh, about a man named Ananias, uh, had not seen or witnessed the change in Saul. But he heard the Lord's voice and command, and he obeyed. And interesting that without hesitation when he comes across Saul, what does he say? He says, calls him brother. Calls him brother without even seeing any outward change or expression. Maybe a little bit fearful, like as Pastor Monica preached last week. Um, but when, Lord, when the Lord speaks, we obey. Amen? God chooses to save the greatest enemy of his people, of his church. He chooses to save the one who is a sinner and is in need of his redemption. This is so hard for us as human beings with boxes in our minds as we complementalize everything. Everything needs to fit in the right box and fit in the right shape. We label sin from least to greatest, and we decide where people fit in, which box they fit in. Inside our hearts, we decide who should be worthy of God's salvation, and at times, we see ourselves less sinners than, and you can fill the blank there. I'm a less sinner than someone who commits murder. I'm a less sinner than someone who steals. I'm a less sinner than someone who carries out atrocious actions towards children. But that's the fault of being a human being. But in today's text, we see example of Saul. In our eyes, a terrible human being doing evil we see someone who deserves eternal punishment to be jailed for his crimes and for his atrocious actions, who stood there and saw and condoned the Stephen's stoning. And full with passion and rage. And I like how Pastor Monica mentioned his rage is like a raging bull. And what I could think of his passion was, uh, so if you're not Portuguese, you wouldn't know this, but in Portugal, um, in the southern part of, of Portugal or in the main islands, we have these uh, bullfights or there's these uh, in the little islands where you, the bull just roams free. And people have this, get this adrenaline of running away from the bulls and you see the bulls with rage and and in a way they're full of passion to hit something or hit someone 
And this is the, the image that comes to me when it talks about how Saul was full of rage and that towards the church. <laughs> Saul went to Damascus to arrest those who belonged to the way. Do you remember that from last week? You see, at times in comparison to Saul and in comparison to the Jewish leaders, we see ourselves as good people. But what is good? How do we define good? And this story comes to mind in Luke chapter 18. And this is a story about the young rich ruler who is looking for an answer how to in inherit inter eternal life. And he begins this question calling Jesus a good teacher. And Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, this is our measure of good. And Jackie Hill Perry puts this in very well. Only God has the right and the authority to decide who is good and what is good. Because he's God and because he is good. So that is our measure of good. Our measure of goodness is the one who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is perfect, and who is just and holy. What does Paul or Saul say in Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, regardless of your sin, we're all at the same level. Same level as Saul or any other person. We are all sinners and it's only by faith through grace that we are forgiven. Saul's conversion is public as we learned last week. All those with him, who were with him heard the voice and sought no one. This post-resurrection uh, post appearance of Jesus and, uh, to Saul on the way to Damascus is what we call a Christophany, which means it's an appearance of a, or non-physical manifestation of Christ. And in simple terms, it's a vision of Christ after his resurrection. Can you imagine what Saul was feeling, what he was thinking, even those who were with him and who saw the outcome of that encounter, that physical outcome in Saul's physical appearance? What were they thinking? They heard and they saw no one. Saul was completely humbled. The one who was zealous for God so knowledgeable in the word of God, killing and persecuting those who followed that same God. He was humbled, for sure. And in today's text, we see a little bit more about Saul and his transformation. You see the persecutor turned preacher. And you see this in verse 20 to 22. Saul spent some time in Damascus, and he went to the synagogue to preach. This is the first place where he preached, the synagogue. He went to the very place where he was determined to arrest those belonging to the way. It was a place where persecution, chaos, turmoil, and now has become a place where Saul preaches the good news. His message was, Jesus is the Son of God. And he proves to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. This word, or three words, the Son of God, in the Bible is used in several ways. One, it refers to the angels in heaven. They are called sons of God because they are his creations or his creatures. 
It refers to the kings in the Old Testament. It refers to the Israel, uh, to the nation of Israel itself. God redeemed and adopted Israel into his family and called them son. And lastly, it refers to the Messiah, which where we are today. And this Messiah has become known as the Son of God, Jesus. We see God in the New Testament use this term twice when referring to Jesus. The first one, during his baptism, a loud voice came from heaven and said, and a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the second time, during his transfiguration, God spoke audibly from the clouds and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus, in his humanity, he was the son of God because of sinless and perfect obedience. And this was Saul's message. Who once saw Jesus as the enemy to the Jewish religion, now after his conversion, sees Jesus as the Messiah. Saul's worldview changed because Jesus changed it. And that's what Jesus does. Our role is to preach Jesus, and only he does a transformation. Only he does a transformation in our lives through the Holy Spirit. All we are called to do is to be obedient and to share the gospel. The same gospel that the disciples and the apostles shared. The same gospel that Saul shared. The same gospel that the early church shared. The gospel hasn't changed. And this is the gospel that we need to share. Jesus is the Son of God who came down to earth and dwelt among us sinners. And in obedience to the Father died on the cross and carried the curse of sin so we wouldn't have to. So we wouldn't have to live in eternal condemnation. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. By faith through grace we have been saved. And like Saul, we also have our own testimony of how Jesus changed our worldview. All of us. And if he hasn't yet, I encourage you to open your heart. Let your heart be fertile and good soil to hear this gospel and let God change you and transform you. I encourage you to remove all preconceived notion of who you think God is and who you think Jesus is. Remove all self-righteousness. Remove all attitude that you are good and let Jesus through the Holy Spirit change your worldview. Saul's conversion can be read in two other, uh, two other times in the book of Acts, one in chapter 22, verses 3 to 16, and in chapter 26, 4 to 18. Not only were the Christians in Damascus shocked to see and hear Saul preach this message, to see his conversion, but also the, sh the Jewish leadership or the Jews were shocked, dismayed, that he now was part and belonged to the way. It says that in verse 22, that Saul increased all the more in strength. And this wasn't the physical strength, even though he didn't eat for three days until Ananias came to see him. This wasn't, he didn't grow, get stronger physically. But this was in the mental, spiritual aspect. He got stronger. 
Remember that Saul was a man with the finest education and knowledge of scripture, the Old Testament. He was zealous, he was a zealous defender of Judaism who was met by Jesus. And when that happened, the spiritual blindness was gone. And finally, he understood who Jesus was and linked the two together. He knew the Old Testament, he knew scripture, and when he had an encounter with Jesus and he realized who Jesus was, he put the two and two together. Now Saul has become the most zealous preacher of Jesus. Jesus had opened his mind and his heart. Then we see that the persecutor is persecuted. And we can read this in verse 23 to 25. Interesting note to take, I found that interesting anyways, that between verses 22 and 23, about three years have passed. And I know sometimes when we read scripture and we go from one verse to the next, we think like that's automatic, that things happen. But no, between 22 and 23, there's about three years that has taken, that has passed. Saul has become well known as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He spent some of the time in the kingdom of Nabataean, Arabia, but this is not the modern Arabia. This is the Arabia close to Damascus. Not only did he continue to preach Jesus, but he also started to annoy and anger the Arabs as well. And we can read this as he writes a letter to 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, verses 32. And Saul finds himself in a difficult place where not only did the Nabataeans wanted to kill him, but now the Jews as well. He had overstayed his welcome in both places. And going back to our text today, no wonder the Jews wanted to kill him. They no longer had an ally to persecute the church. They didn't have anyone who was willing to go to be the one to execute, execute their evil plan. The call that Jesus gave him in the beginning was beginning to be fulfilled. Remember what Jesus said to Ananias in verse 15? But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Well, this hatred has started. This suffering has started. And as we, as we recall, they did just that with Jesus in, chap in Luke chapter 11. Saul escapes with help of his disciples to avoid any persecution or maybe even death. So much hatred in their hearts. Such hardness in their hearts. You know that the word kill appears 24 times in the New Testament? And 19 of those occur in the book of Acts. Talk about taking the Lord's word, he must suffer. Talk about a suspense and action. I think we, they should make a movie about the book of Acts. <laughs> what do you think? We see deceit, we see revival, we see persecution, we see miracles, we see death. Saul was called to preach to the Gentiles and to suffer for the name of Jesus. Jesus called Saul to suffer? At times we hear, come to Christ and everything will be good. All suffering is gone. But 
that is not the case sometimes. Our faith will be tested. And guess what? We will annoy people around us, just like Saul did. Unfortunately, our journey with Jesus, our walk as the followers of Christ, it will not be easy. It will be a hard one, but one so worth it. And I have been reading the book of Psalms in my devotions, and interesting that over and over, these are the, some of the words that pop up. Shield, refuge, my rock, shepherd, fortress, deliverer. But as so long as we, his saints, trust, dwell, be still, patient, forsake what is evil, wait on God. You see, God will be our fortress. He will be our shield. He will be our deliverer. He will be our rock, our shepherd. But as long as we do our part, which is trust in him, which is wait, be patient, be faithful. Psalm 18, verse 1 to 2 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And yes, that was Saul's call to suffer, but he could hold on to who God was to get him through that struggles, to help him overcome the persecution and the difficulties that he was going to face throughout his ministry. We have peace with God, but we will at some point in our journey have suffering. But we can have the assurance that as we go through those struggles and hardships, God is with us. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. We will endure suffering because of our faith in God. And sometimes these hardships are caused by the people who are the closest to us. The hardships and struggles you might face are not even from strangers. But they may come to the persons that are closest to you, closest, dearest to you, to your heart just like Saul. <laughs> the Jews wanted to kill him, but weren't these his brothers who knew who Saul was, who saw him grow up and be so knowledgeable in the word of God, in scripture? He was one of them. He was their brother, and now they were the same ones persecuting him and wanting to kill him because he had converted to Jesus Christ. These were the same people who were laying their cloaks and their garments at Saul's feet when Stephen was stoned. But even if the closest to people to us are causing us grief and suffering, remember that God is with you and he is there to carry us through the valleys. We don't stay in the valley. <laughs> Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Be of good cheer. You're not alone in your suffering. The same way that Saul had people who were close to him, close to him who wanted to kill him, but also close to him who helped him escape. They helped him uh, leave 
and be safe. Saul had friends who helped him, and so do we. We're not alone. We have the church. We, the church, are here to help each other walk in our journey until we are called to be in heaven. This is what church is. We're here to encourage one another, to lift each other's arms up when we want to give up, when we find that we are, can't take it anymore. That's what the church is called. Just like Saul had his friends to help him escape, we have the church to help each other through the difficulties. So don't hold on to your struggles to yourself. And I find that sometimes we don't want to share our struggles, but we need each other. We need each other to encourage each other, to also, as we encourage each other, my own faith will be lifted, will grow, because we can see together how God is, how God is walking through the struggles with you. He is carrying you through. Saul escapes, to, escapes and goes to Jerusalem. And we come to our next point, that the persecutor is accepted in verses 26 to 30. In this portion, in these verses, we have a lot of feelings. We see fear. Saul tries to join the disciples in Jerusalem, and he is met with fear from the disciples and the church, and with reason, right? And with reason, valid reason. And although some time has passed, they remember what Paul did. They remember him stoning Stephen and condoning that. They remember the letters that he had from the synagogue, the high priest, to go and arrest those who followed Jesus. They remember Saul. They remember his actions. Perhaps they thought that this was Saul the zealot who was coming up with a new persecution tactic. Maybe because he wasn't able to destroy the church from the outside. Maybe if he infiltrated and he can destroy the church from within. Maybe what we call wolves in um, sheep's clothing. <laughs> but this wasn't the case. They didn't believe that he had changed and that he was a disciple of Jesus. But, but in verse 27, we see acceptance. And we see this person named Barnabas come into the picture again. And this is the same Barnabas that we see in Actors, Acts chapter 4, verses 36 to 37. Do you remember what his name means? Do we remember? It's interesting that Luke includes this detail. We might see it insignificant. Sometimes we think, oh, why do we need all these details? Okay, like the book of Numbers. <laughs> do we really need all that information? <laughs> yes, there's a purpose for it. It's not the most exciting book to read, <laughs> but it's God's word. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> um, what does his name mean? Do you remember? Son of encouragement. Do you guys know that's why we named our dog Barnabas? <laughs> I wouldn't allow William to name our son Barnabas. So the next best thing was our dog. But he is an encouragement, isn't he? He is faithful. When you're feeling down, your dog knows. <laughs> So that's what Barnabas means, means son of encouragement. And we are going to see 
this name, um, we will see the significance of this name come into play. See, God has a plan. Barnabas takes him and brings him to the apostles and speaks for him. He believed what God had done in Saul's life. Now, Luke doesn't include this detail, but like, how does Barnabas know what happened to Saul? We don't have that detail. But I got to say that it's maybe in the same heart and the same attitude that Ananias had. He, wasn't, he didn't see uh, the outward change, but he believed. Or maybe he heard what he was doing in Damascus, how God had saved him. Maybe Ananias told him. I don't know. News travels around. But he believed in what, God's, what God had done in Saul's life. It says that Barnabas took him, took him, and this refers to taking under his wing, which means to help, to teach, to take care of someone who is younger and has less experience. We can and we should apply this as a church. We, the mature Christians, disciples of Jesus, should be taking on those who are new in the faith under our wing like Barnabas took Paul. This is called discipleship. Believe in the work that God has done in someone's life, care, guide, and teach. This is a call to those who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years. You are not called to just sit in your chair in a bubble. You are the point of reference for our younger brothers and sisters who've just come to Christ. Barnabas takes the responsibility of discipling Saul and, take him and takes him under his wing. It see, it's, we see that Barnabas takes him, um, that Barnabas accepts him, takes him under his wing, and that Barnabas vouches for him. Barnabas sought, uh, brought Saul to the apostles and recounted his conversion story. He vouched for him that he no longer was the same man, but transformed by Jesus Christ. You see, Barnabas was working towards the unity of the church. Through the, he was working towards the unity and reconciliation between Saul, the apostles, and the church. And let me tell you, we need Barnabases in our church at Centerview. We need Barnabases in our lives. Are you willing to take someone under your wing to mentor, to disciple, to teach? Are you willing to be a Barnabas? Maybe someone will not believe that person or is believing the change that is occurring or that occurred in their heart. But are you willing to take that time and invest and put your own reputation at risk? Because you believe in the work that Jesus has done in that person. I want to encourage you to be a Barnabas in someone's life. Choose someone. Be a Barnabas, Barnabas in someone's life. After being accepted, it says in verses 28 to 30, that Saul went among them. Who's them? He went among the disciples and that he preached boldly in Jerusalem. They were working together as a unit, and Saul continued what Stephen was doing, what Stephen was doing, and was stoned for. 
He confronts the Hellenists, which is the Greek Jews, and guess what? They also plot to kill him. This visit to Jerusalem lasts about 15 days, and we can read this in Galatians chapter 1 to 18. It's not long, but the impact that Saul is making is also putting him in danger. Because of the havoc that he was causing, he is sent to Caesarea, which is a seaport in the Mediterranean, and then to Tarsus, which was home. We can see that in Acts chapter 22, verses 17 to 21, he wasn't running. Or that the church <laughs> kicked him out. That's not what happened. But we read that the Lord prompted him to do this. And read, listen to what he says. When I, turned to when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Saul knew who he was. He had knowledge of what kind of person he was. And he understood why the apostles in the church had a difficulty accepting him, right? He knew. He understood. But God had a plan. And as we continue to study the book of Acts, we will see that this plan unfold. We don't hear any more about Saul in, until chapter 11, but do you think that he was silent? No. Did he go into hiding? No. He was preaching that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. And according to Galatians chapter 1, verses 21, it says that he went to the region of Syria, which is modern-day Turkey, and Sicilia. And most likely some of the churches in this region mentioned in Acts were planted by him. The same passion he had to persecute the church and the disciples to do evil was now the used for the advancement of God's kingdom. His conversion automatically brings the desire to serve, and he was going to accomplish his calling to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. God takes the worst of a human being and transforms them in such a way that the person becomes the most faithful witness of the gospel in the midst of suffering. His message is consistent. His message is Christ-centered, driven by the Spirit, courageous and costly. I'm coming to an end. We read in verse 31 that the church is advancing. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Maybe we want to get the kids ready to come in. What a beautiful summary to the portion of scripture. The church is now a community in, of believers in three different geographical areas, which includes the Gentiles, which includes the call of Paul. 
He was a zealous Jewish leader, and God called him to the Gentiles. We see that the church had peace and was being built up. With Saul gone and some political changes from Pilate being ousted and the growth of Herod the Agrippa's authority, which meant that it restricted the authority or the, act, or the Jewish people, the Jewish leadership to act in freedom and to carry out harsh actions against the church. And as a result of these two things, we see that persecution ceased. And the church was able to experience peace and being built up. See, Luke isn't talking about a physical sense of being built up, like we are constructing a building or a church. You know that, right? Who's the church? The people. It was, a, it was, Luke is referencing to their spiritual life and their growth as a, a, a church, as a, a body of Christ. They were being edified and growing in their faith because of their ability to cope with hardships and persecution. Persecution contributed to the edification of the church. We read also that the church was walking the fear of the Lord. As they saw all that God was doing through the apostles, you remember from chapter 1 up until now, we see healings and we see the faithful preaching of the gospel. And this fear is one of reverence and awe, not one of terror. When it says fear the Lord, it doesn't say for you to be afraid of God. It says be in awe, in reverence of who he is and what he is doing. And that's what the church did. They saw how God used the apostles. And because of that, the church grew. And the church was also walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was living in them and empowering them to continue going to be Je to continue to be Jesus's witnesses, just like He had commanded them in Acts chapter one verse eight. As a result of them having peace, being built up, fearing the Lord, and being com comforted by the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. It grew. And these are the marks of a healthy, growing church. Saul the persecutor had become Paul the apostle. Fitzmaier says this about Saul's conversion. It wasn't a psychological conversion, but it's a story of how divine grace transforms even the life of a persecutor. Saul didn't do anything, you see. God did it all. God was in control, and God showed grace, and it was his divine his initi initiative that brought Saul to faith. And he, the same goes for us. We can't do anything to come to faith. It's all God. He creates the opportunities and the perfect timing to redeem us and to bring us into his family. And you know, this is something that I am learning. I, am, I have a hard time with this. 
This is something that God is working in me and through me and teaching me that it's him, not me. This is God that does the work. Even though I may feel guilty for my loved ones not following Christ, I don't do anything. It's all God, and I have to wait and rely and trust and depend. And all I am called to do is pray. Pray for their salvation. Pray, pray, pray. Or else we would take, we would take credit. And I am called to pray that God brings salvation to the ones dearest to me. And the same goes for you. Pray. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for their salvation. Pray that salvation comes to their homes. You see, our conversion stories are all different. With only one common denominator. Do you know what that is? Is that we're all sinners. And we're all sinners in need of redemption that can only come through Jesus. You see, my conversion came as a result of seeing loved ones being saved. Specifically, my uncle, Pastor, my uncle, Pastor Carlos. You guys know who he is. And I'm, not cry I'm crying how I am so thankful that through the difficulties that we went through as a family, God brought salvation. I'm not going into detail because this is not my story. This is his story. But we were as a family at our wit's end. We couldn't find help from anyone. From the church to witchcraft. Yes, witchcraft is real, my brothers and sisters. It's not just in movies. It is real. It is real, and I have seen it, and I have witnessed it. It is real. We couldn't get help from mysticism. We couldn't get help from any kind of religion. We sought, and we went everywhere to get help, to see my uncle set free. But, praise God, but... And I love when the word of God has the word but because something changes. But one day, one day, one co-worker who wasn't even a Christian mentioned to my mom, I've heard of this Protestant church. I grew up Roman Catholic. I heard of this Protestant church where they pray for people and people are set free. So talking my family decides, you know, what do we have to lose? We've gone so many different places, we can't find help. One even says that we have a spirit of a cat. The other one says we have to give money, pay the witches, the witch. We're like, how can we pay? We don't even have money to buy food. My mom thought, why not? What do we have to lose? So here they are, the four of them, my uncle, aunt, my dad, and my mom. I stayed behind with Roger and Kevin. They were quite young. 
And as I recall, looking back and thinking, writing, what a sleepless night. Sleepless nights with no hope. The uncertainty of our loved one's future, which wasn't good. You see, they were walking into the unknown. It was unknown to us and to them, but God, in his perfect time, brought salvation to our households. He brought freedom from demon oppression and possession. He brought, freedom from, he brought freedom from addiction. He brought freedom from depression, suicidal thoughts, hopelessness. It was gone because of Jesus. Yet, some conversions can be instant. And like we read Paul, it was instantaneously. But I've learned that some, not everyone's story is like that, and some is gradual. And sometimes they take a little long. But we have to do is to pray. Pray through that. I'm praying through that. And to conclude, here are some reminders of Paul's, Saul's life up until now. It's always God's initiative, not your doing, that brings us to a personal encounter with Jesus. Sometimes, like I mentioned, this can be instant, like Saul, but others take some time. This is why we preach the word of God. And you should listen to the word of God, because it builds faith. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So let's keep preaching the word so that know that one day those we love and cherish can come to the saving faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Remember that it's not you, it's not us, it's God. Jesus calls us to himself. We are embraced or accepted by God's church. Let's be Barnabases and Ananias's in people's lives to our brothers and sisters who are young in their faith. That's how call church. Embrace them, love them, care for them. We are a family, a community, and where we live out acceptance. We are not to come to a weekly service and just sit here be in our seat, as I mentioned before, be in our bubble. I encourage you to go and talk and learn and hear their story, how they came to know Jesus Christ. So your faith may be encouraged and, be, and grow and, and be excited for what God is doing. New believers need nurturing, and that's our call as mature Christians, to nurture those who need Christ. And we see in Paul's life there's transformation. When we come across Jesus and the gospel we, and we are convicted through the Holy Spirit, transformation happens. We are called to be obedient, just like Ananias. Be obedient, just like Saul. Be obedient to God's call in your life. Don't forget that transformation is continual. <laughs> Or else it would be we accept Christ, boom, we're gone in heaven. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Sometimes I wish I could. <laughs> but we still have a lot of work to do. A lot of people need to hear the gospel. 
And as we live out our faith here on earth alongside our brothers and sisters, let's not forget that we are not to be conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our mind through God's word. It's not through the renewal of our mind through some self-help books and self textbooks and podcasts or whatever it may be, but it's only through the word of God that our mind is transformed. And we can end with this, that the main character in our faith, in our faith story is God and his work through us and his work through his son Jesus to redeem us, to restore our relationship with God, which was broken by sin, and to bring us into our spiritual family. How we live our Christian life should be determined by who we understand God to be and by who Jesus is. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful for this family, for this church. I am so thankful for the work that you've done in us. I'm thankful for our younger brothers and sisters who just come to know you, I've come to the knowledge of who you are. And I pray that you encourage us this morning, that you use us who are more mature to come alongside with them, to be Barnabases in their lives, to encourage, to teach, to guide, and that as we hear the story, how you've transformed our lives, that we may be encouraged. Saul's life is an encouragement to us, Lord. We have been saved. We have been called to preach your word. And as we face struggles because of our faith and persecution at times because of our faith, we have this assurance that you are with us, that we are not alone, that you are our fortress, that you are our shield. You are the one who's carrying us through the valley and you are the one who carries us through the storm. Thank you that you've built a family where we can be accepted. Lord, we know that we are far from perfect, but we, you've given us a spiritual family where we can encourage each other when we are feeling down, when we are feeling lonely, when we feel that we've sinned, we can come to each other and encourage one another to just turn to you, Lord, and turn to your word. Thank you that you've accepted us into your family because of your son's sacrifice, because of Jesus' sacrifice. And that you look at us through the Jesus. You no longer see our sin. You see Jesus. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you. Let us worship. <laughs>